I don't want to hurt you. And I know that I can't say that I need my space, but I super need my space. Welcome back to another episode of Sterling Municipal Library's podcast, All Booked, where we talk to you about books we'd like to recommend. And this is going to be the Tiny Book Club edition. So That's right. about six weeks ago, I sent out an email to a bunch of different staff members saying, hey, I want to co-read a book with somebody, especially since I'm about to go on a trip. Do you have something that you would want to read alongside other people? And fortunately, you know, being surrounded by librarians, there were a whole bunch of people that were real ready and willing to take me up on the author offer. Wow, I can talk. Uh, including Chasley and Lisa. So we landed on a book called French Braid. It's Ann Tyler's latest book. Um, one thing I love about doing challenges like this is it is kind of like a miniature book club. These aren't this isn't a book that I normally would have selected for myself, but I'm very glad I had that experience. So with that, how about we hear from Lisa or Chasley about their thoughts about the book? Thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I listened. Um, I think, Leslie, you read it. I read it. And Chasley, you probably listened. I listened, yes. Okay, there yes. The the narrator is Kimberly Farr, who I know from a lot of Elizabeth Strout books. Uh, so she was a super familiar voice. Um, really nice. Although I kind of say, I think I would recommend reading this book over listening. Um, when I went back and, and read some things to reacquaint, it, it really goes down easier and you can keep the name straight and i have i can uh, concur or i can attest to that because this made an excellent airplane book what is it about the text that makes it easier to read as opposed to listen there were so many characters later oh, it was okay. easier for me when i saw them in print mm -hmm. to follow along also with ann tyler you can speed up your eyes or you can slow them down as needed but I think we open, actually in present day, the, the opening scene is um, Serena and her boyfriend. And the, the scene, the whole theme of the scene is, how do families grow apart? How do you not recognize your cousin across a crowded room? How do you not know that's your cousin? Mm -hmm. And so the whole rest of the book, it, then it backs up to like 1959. And then each chapter goes forward like about 10 years, um, dipping into this Garrett family and finding out how these these little misunderstandings or um, happen and to cause estrangement within families. But it wasn't like an active estrangement, not like, you know, you could tell the people all still loved each other in their own awkward way. It was just more like their individual personalities meshed so improperly that they couldn't really maintain that familial relationship. Yeah, I, I mean, you can tell that if they'd all been forced to get together, whether by obligation or for some other reasons, that it just would have been uncomfortable Christmas dinners. <laughs> yes. And it all starts with that 1959 first awkward family vacation. Uh, you meet the mother and the father. So you've got Robin as the dad and Mercy is the mother. They're going on their first family vacation ever when I think the oldest was 18, the middle child was 16, and the youngest was seven. So mm -hmm. and the dad does some sort of work at a hardware store. He's used to manual labor. This is the longest stretch of time off he's had ever. And you can tell he's uncomfortable with that amount of free time. So he goes around looking for things to fix around the cabin. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the girls is busy chasing boys the entire time. And the other takes responsibility for her younger brother because the mother is too busy dabbling in her art. Yeah. Yes, painting. And just as you're saying that, Leslie, I keep thinking of each character and like a dozen little 
not throwaway lines, but lines that Ann Tyler puts in there, little details. Um, so like the, the dad, Robin, he always felt insecure around Mercy and her family. Like, you know, they came from um, upper socioeconomic class and he always felt like he was trying to prove himself and he wanted this family and he made her promise, if you ever think I'm going to get, we're going to get divorced, don't even marry me. I mean, just this book is jam-packed in character development. Mm -hmm. Which, speaking of characters, which characters really resonated with you guys? I really liked Mercy. I don't, I don't want to say I identify too closely. Um, but, um, <laughs> like, she just, she is at that point where, um, in, in the course of the novel, she moves out of her house gradually without upsetting her husband too much once her children are grown. Um, and I, I just, I really identify with that, like, wanting to be completely alone and not responsible for other human beings for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I think after all of those years of, of parenting um, and also for taking care of a, let's not say modern type husband who doesn't particularly know how to take care of himself, she was like, nah, I'm kind of done with that. And I I really, I was like, oh, yo, <laughs> look, at, look at you actually taking steps to make yourself happy. Spoiler alert, although really, if you're listening to the, this podcast and you know anything about anti or you, you won't mind it, but um. Like, the, the thing with the cat at first was shocking to that me. That bothered me to no end. And I kept thinking about it and turning it over in my mind. And the more I live with Mercy as these weeks and months, it just doesn't bother me as much. I mean, she did what she needed to do. And then when she was ready, you know, so it just on. I'll even flesh in the details because otherwise okay. I feel like that statement doesn't really make sense to our listeners. <laughs> she did not kill the cat. No, no. she did it not. It does sound so, like she killed a cat. So, <laughs> well, maybe. Anyway, so basically what happened was her landlord came to her and they had a family emergency and needed to take care of their daughter who was out of the state. So they were mm -hmm. wondering if she could watch their cat for a little bit. Well, that little bit, you know, turned into months, which eventually turned into like a year or so. Landlord comes back and is like, hey, after all, we're going to need to move in with our daughter to really help her get back on her feet. Would you be willing to take the cat? And so she says yes, and I think gives it less than 24 hours and then takes the cat to the shelter. <laughs> Very matter of fact. Which was surprising. but And it was also interesting because the cat was not obtrusive. In fact, like, it wasn't noisy or anything like that. Is this the, after she... After she moves out. Yeah. Oh, 100%. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So, it was, it was a, a creature that needed her to do stuff for it. And yes. she was like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I it made this point about this cat being a pretty easy roommate that was not obtrusive in any way. And the only way she ever knew it was there was she would feel its weight on her legs when she was asleep. So that's it right yeah, there. Yeah, but I mean, it's not, it's not a roommate. It's not an equal in any way. It is another dependent. And yeah. when that happened, I was like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, yeah. I'm not going to take care of anything more difficult than a fern when my kids move out. Yeah, even <laughs> if all you have to do is feed and water an animal, it's still... If you wake up and you're tired and you want to go back to sleep, oh, you can't, though. You have to get up and feed your cat. Uh, no. <laughs> I can totally see that just from the few words that you've shared about. <laughs> and about that's that. a great example, which was, I mean, every other page was an example of where I just thought the story was going to go, oh, she's going to bond with this cat. They're going to be, uh, you know, cat and woman uh, roommates for the rest of the book. And no. And then I'm like, well, yeah, of course that's how it should have happened. Mm-hmm. Did you have a favorite character? Well, I I enjoyed. I I really liked David. Yeah. Um. I the the, the scene in 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 the 1959 vacation where he's playing with his GI men and they're all talking like they're at a veterinarian convention. His veterinarians. I mean, immediately <laughs> I was on board for David 100. percent And then when his dad wants him to come out swimming, and he's like, okay, and he holds his arms out. Um. I could I could really relate to that. Um. 
and then when he grew up and he wanted to be a good father and he, you know, tried so hard. And, and his wife's name, whose name Greta. was? Greta. Yes, loved Greta too. What about you, Chasley? I, I mean, Mercy was definitely my pick, but I have to I have to love David, um, especially the, um, Greta was like she saw that he was grieving because his children had grown up and that like watching that happen and knowing that you've lost those little people, even though, you know, they're big people now. And that's great. But that that just that grief of of watching somebody grow up is I had never seen that described in literature. And that was amazing to me. And the way the rest of the family would make fun of Greta and then when we finally got to know her in that chapter and she just said the pitch perfect thing to David every time, it just made me want to weep that you never really know anyone. And for me, it was Robin. I had a huge soft spot for him. I loved that description of when they were on their vacation, he bonded with one of the other dads from one of the cabins. So he and this other dad would go like wade out to about chest deep in the lake water and just like, I don't know, talk about building and home repair and stuff and manly things. And that was how he spent most of the vacation, watching the kids and chest deep in the water, talking about man stuff. But um, the other thing I found really endearing about him, you can tell he is awkward even in his relationship with his wife, but he legitimately loved her. So he works really hard to plan a 50th anniversary party for her and arranges for one of his kids to be the one, David actually, to be the one to tell him, hey, I happen to be in town. I'm going to be dropping by. Would you Mm -hmm. um, stop by for lunch or something? Because he knew that if he requested directly, she might not come. And that chapter was when I had to take a break because the feels were so real. <laughs> Leslie, that I loved, love, love that. It reminded me in the Leanne Moriarty book, Apples Never Fall. You never get inside the dad's brain until the very end. And that that chapter made me weep, too, about with Robin, how, that you really saw how vulnerable. Yes. And with how rough cut he was, but he still had this really sentimental side. I was <laughs> going to say um, that I really liked Lily, like that. She had had kind of a wild childhood and made some mistakes, but then, like, grew up and then, like, for, like, decades was this mature adult that her whole family still sees her as that kind of wild, crazy child. Boy crazy, too. Yeah. um, I was like, oh, yes, that is exactly what families are like. Yes. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because, like, one of the last scenes, like, oh, yeah, she got married again. There's, you know, uh, that crazy Lily. Uh, And she had been with the same, like, husband for, like, decades. And I was just like, (laughs) I I, I understand, man. I wouldn't come home for Christmas either. (laughs) So are we flashing forward in these scenes? Or, like you said, is it just going from 1959 and, like, upwards towards the present day? It's mostly flashing forward. And I don't know that it's at set increments. But I was telling Lisa what really threw me off was... The first chapter starts with Serena and Nicholas, which are two of the grandkids. I don't remember the other grandkids' names for the most part. And um, you're seeing they happen to run into each other at the train station, and they don't positively recognize each other at Mm -hmm. first. So that's what sets the stage for the rest of the story. And so when you go from that to flashing back to 1959, I had a little trouble figuring out my footing at the beginning. But... I yeah. still appreciate that artistic choice. Yeah, because it, I, I kept thinking Serena would show up again. I thought Mercy was going to, or um, Lily was going to end up pregnant with a guy. Like, I keep thinking that these, these things would happen. And then it, Serena's just mentioned later in the book, and she's with someone else. So um. Yeah. One thing I also loved about this particular story was each of the characters were treated with dignity. So even though I found Mercy frustrating, which I know I'm the odd person here, Um, The chapter where she and her granddaughter, Kendall, also known as Candle, uh, go to New York to check out a gallery really humanized her for me. So what is something about Mercy that uh, frustrated you? 
It was just that she had schemed to gradually move out from mm-hmm. her husband without ever explicitly telling him that she was moving out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that just seems like a dirty way to handle all of it. I think that she <laughs> should have been a little bit more upfront with him. Um, and, you know, the kids all recognized that this was an open family secret. So mm-hmm. there were just two or three lines about how she says she likes to cook, but she doesn't really like to cook. She likes to bake, but she doesn't like to bake sweets. Like nobody nobody wants to eat the kind of things that, that she makes. Mm-hmm. So the kids sort of have to fend for themselves. The the sneaky moving out, though, just it seemed to me less sneaky and more like, I don't want to hurt you. And I know that I can't say that I need my space, but I super need my space, you know. And so, like, I mean, like any way that I could imagine that conversation going, Robin would end up just absolutely devastated. And so, like, for me, like that for Mercy's moving out was like the only way that I could think of, you know, she even left like her clothes there. She only took like pieces of it and made the rest of it look like nothing else was missing. And it is it's heartbreaking and it's horrifying thing to do to somebody. But um, I still couldn't imagine a better way for her to have any kind of happiness. Exactly. It's who she was. It's how it had to happen. (laughs) I I didn't mean to. I don't mean to bash Mercy. You know, and I love a a historical book. And Ann Tyler's so good about like throwing things in. Like she talks about the the brownie star flash camera, which if you Google it, you'll you'll know what it is. And then talking about fingers twisted in the spiral telephone cord. You have to be a certain age to understand that. Hey, I'm old enough to know that one. (laughs) Talking about a telephone directory. Like they got their mother's directory out. Mm-hmm. I, I loved all those little details. Oh, and also David and Greta's dog, John. Um, and the two Robbies. I mean, she just... Oh, the two Robins thing. was like, funny. Yeah. So one of the kids, uh, the, I can't remember which one, gave birth to a girl and named the girl Robin. And then I think it was Lily that came along later and gave birth to a boy and named the boy Robin. <laughs> so they referred to girl Robin and boy Robin at family <laughs> gatherings So and there's stuff. a little resentment because of that. I mean, yeah. just, you know... An argument stuff. about whether or not Robin was a boy's name or a girl's name. <laughs> And I want to throw this in about Ann Tyler. Um, she graduated at 19 from Duke University, and then she did graduate work in Russian studies at Columbia University. Oh, wow. I thought you would find that a fun fact. I also thought it was funny because, let's see, is she from Minneapolis? Yeah, she was born in Minneapolis, and that's, uh, that's where, where I was flying whenever I was reading this. So. <laughs> and then the cover of the book uh, looks like a French braid rug. Yes. So... Again, my friend uh, and coworker Mary was like, so what's this about the rug? And I was like, I don't know. But I will read the quote about the French braid family analogy. And it comes from David. He says, talking about his sister when she undid her French braids. When she undid them, her hair would still be in ripples, little leftover squiggles for hours afterward. That's how families work, too. You think you're free of them, but you're never really free. The ripples are crimped in forever. Okay, so the rug. Is it, <laughs> like, that just, is it just like a regular braided rug? Because I kept looking and oh, I'm like... Oh, you know what? Maybe it is a regular braided rug. I was rug. like, that's just a regular braided rug. Yeah. Like, that's not even a French braid thing. So I don't know. <laughs> and there's no rug in the story. Speaking of house things, I would totally buy a painting that someone um, like Mercy did. Yes. I love that. That was neat. That is so great. Can one of you guys describe her house portrait? So Mercy would go into these people's houses, and she would get to know the house and get to know the people, and then she would pick out like a like a focal point, like the soul of the house, and she would take this this image or this place and she would paint it in detail, and then the rest of the painting would just kind of be like a sketched out kind of um, almost like a like almost like a ghost like like image, and so you had that one focal point. 
Is there a reason the book goes into about why, like, why she's focused on painting, like, the soul of a house or, like, a gathering place? She does have a quote, and I can't remember exactly what it is, where she talks about how much easier it is to only pay, like, that much attention to one specific thing rather than trying to memorize everything. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I, and I don't know if it's just that that's what grabbed her attention, so that's what she had deemed worthy. I can't remember exactly what she said about it. Yeah, in my head it was just an artist's choice. Yes. Being like, this is how I'm going to do But this. I did love the first client that she had. She honed in on a grandfather clock that the family acted like they were super proud of, and it was a family heirloom and stuff, but she found, like, these initials uh, carved into the side of it that belonged to the previous family that owned it. Mm-hmm. And she ended up including that in her painting of the grandfather clock, too. It just seemed like an interesting choice, you know? Yeah. And, and we have to talk about the quarantine chapter. Oh, yes. yes. Um, I, I did hear there was some quarantine. That there was there was a great line. Um so um, Robin and Greta um, are have welcomed their son and the grandson back, so that their daughter-in-law is in the maybe works in an ER. It's David and Greta. Da- yeah. Oh, sorry, David and Greta. Right. Benny is their grandchild, and the line is, "But guess what? Even socially distanced, even deprived of normal playdates, Benny somehow learned the levitating arms trick and the song that never ends." So they would they would have their schedule every day. They would go out. They would sort of see other people and it was really evocative. Yeah, and the kids would find ways to interact with each other from a distance. Mm -hmm. So when they were going out for their daily walks. So, um, like that, those chapters were like the entire reason I, this book was on my list at all. Um, I, I've read literary fiction in the past, but lately I have been far more into sci-fi, which made this kind of an awkward transition. I was like, where are the aliens? Um, (laughs) and spoiler alert, there are no aliens in this book. Um, only emotionally alien. Only emotionally alien. Um, even during, like, our shutdown, lockdown, I was, like, desperately curious thinking about, like, how the books that were going to be coming out in the next couple of years were going to treat the pandemic. And so every time I hear or find a list where they're like, oh, these books have in there, I've been reading that. Like, I read Apples Never Fall and the Our Country Friends and any of the other ones I can find because there's something that's so fascinating to me about that. Um, And I really liked, too, that Ann Tyler's take on it was way more about, like, the opportunity it gave their family than about... Like, the Our Country Friends was a lot about, like, the stress and, like, the news and everything. But uh, that almost plays no part at all. Like, they're, they're not, they don't seem freaked out about the virus. They, it's more about that, that time they get to spend together. So are there any other favorite moments that neither of you have mentioned yet? I feel like I've snuck several of mine in. Oh, I really liked in the first part of it, actually, where the other cousin that she runs into, he's like, I have a cousin named Candle. <laughs> I was like, yes. that's hilarious. I love that. <laughs> and then it's almost, I mean, it's like 200 pages before she shows up. So one for me, and I think it's just because I related to it on a personal level, was at one point they're planning a dinner party to meet David's new friend, who ends up being Greta. But all they know from him is that she's a new friend and it's the first time he's ever brought a woman home as they're planning everything out alice and lily are working out the menu and you notice that lily has only been entrusted with a salad and (laughs) lily is like really resentful she's bringing it over because she knows that alice is going to find something that she did wrong with it Mm -hmm. and it really bothers lily and i just related to that on a molecular level (laughs) 
feeling like anything I bring to a dinner is going to be judged. <laughs> All right. Well, if there's nothing else you guys yeah. are wanting to add, I do have one brief like segue I'm, I just want to steer this conversation into, and that is how you guys select your to-read books. I know that both you, or both Chasley and Lisa, are very good about coming up with the books that they are planning to read that are on their radar. I tend to be a lot more chaotic. You know, I'll just yeah, be y'all either... Have, y'all have always seemed very, like structured in your yes. your reading list. So, and whereas I, half the time I'm just like, hey guys, pick out a book for me because I don't plan ahead very well, or I get super absorbed in a specific topic and decide to read everything about it. So, tell me how you guys decide what goes onto your to-read to list. Okay, well that's 90% an illusion. Um, <laughs> a lot of it is walking by the shelves and being like, ooh, this looks fun. Um, but I do like to look up, like, I, I will get on topics too, like the, you know, novels about the pandemic, and so I do look up lists and kind of look out. Um, I also love um, our Overdrive slash Libby app, and so I will go and I will search through and I put 10 books on hold all of the time, and then I listen to whatever becomes available. So it's always like, I know my next 10 reads, uh, because I mm-hmm. end up listening way more than I actually end up reading. Mm-hmm. So mine is not nearly as interesting, maybe. But um, so since I do the buying for the library, I see what's coming out. That's true. And uh, thank the heavens for Goodreads, um, because the publishers now will release so many books um, to these folks, and they review things ahead of time. So I can see a lot of dark horses or um, mm-hmm. things that would have gone under the radar that I would never have thought to buy, but they you know, have this 4.7 rating. So I'll, I'll jump on there a lot of times if I'm, I'm not sure about things. And then if anything looks remotely interesting, I reserve it for myself. Also, let me plug the library's new and upcoming um, link off of the website um it's it's uh, arranged by genre if if you're a literary fiction nut you can see all the covers and and reserve all those to your heart's content i also say i I haunt that list like every time (laughs) i'm I'm like okay these are the ones um i've also been reading since i've been on a sci-fi kick a lot of the uh, nebula and hugo award winners and Mm -hmm. so if you haven't ever like looked up a list of like the award winners in your favorite genre i would highly recommend it because i've been pointed to some like Stuff that I would not normally have picked up, but since it was such a huge deal, I picked it up and I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. I just walk past the new bookshelf and go, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) I do that a lot. Also valid. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys so much and stay tuned next week for more fantastic book recommendations. Bye. Bye.